Hi folks, it's Sam here. We had a bit of trouble with the audio on this episode, so if you don't listen, we understand, and you're all imaginary anyway. So, enjoy the show. I can't go on, Joe. I'm weak from hunger, I'm running a fever, I got a hole in my shoe. If you gave me a chance, we could be living like kings. You want to talk about It's about the Florida job. The Florida job? Get out of here! What kind of a band is it anyway? You gotta be under 25. We could pass for that. You gotta be blonde. We could dye our hair. And you gotta be girls. We could, no, we could. I understand you're looking for a couple of girl musicians. Hello, hello, and indeed, hello, and welcome to episode number five of the Imaginary Movie Podcast, uh, with myself, David, and me, Sam. Uh, the Imaginary Movie Podcast is a podcast in which we watch a movie, and then we talk about it. Uh, this week, uh, we watched the 1959 classic, and that's a proper use of the term, uh, Some Like It Hot. It is a classic. It's it, Yeah, this is a certified in the house of um uh congress you know significant film yeah um, and it's, it's... certainly quite often um quite often thought of and quite rightly so i think is one of the funniest films ever made yeah yeah um, that's... i think this is like i don't know we've done an out and out comedy yet really no lots of films that make us laugh but not necessarily in the way that was intended but this certainly is yeah this is a this is a good it's a good farce isn't it and also the first black and white film we've done. Ah, yeah. Uh, the first film from classic Hollywood. Uh, it's definitely the oldest one we've done. Although I'd really, I'd really love to watch more. So this, uh, this is a Marilyn Monroe vehicle, um, and I'd really love to watch more of her stuff because she's not someone I know outside of pop culture, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, obviously, which I've, I've seen, I have seen in, in the past. I don't know if this is your first time watching this. Sam. No, this is a film that I've seen many times um, since I was a kid. Uh, my parents really like like watching this, so it was. It, God, have parents with any. I know my mom. My mom specifically, she really, really loves um, black and white movies. So this is this is the kind of long uh, in a line of lots of other films. I'm so jealous, Sam. My mom said, "What's that?" When I said, "Woody, we were doing this film this week." <laughs> <laughs> you can't have it all. You can't have it all. You can't have it all. Um, I just like something. <laughs> some, some, just just one of my parents to express some sort of taste in film of some variety um, anyway anyway this film was fantastic and uh, i think we should maybe try and structure our conversation a little bit so would you like sam as is tradition to read me the plot summary from imdb sure so after two uh, male musicians witness a mob hit they flee to this um, to the state of uh, uh, Florida in an all-female band disguised as women, but further complications set in. That, that pretty much covers it. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, and I want to mention it here because I'm sure we'll mention it again. This is a, like a it's a remake of an earlier '30s script mm. that's based on a remake of that, the script of a remake for that that was made in the late 40s early 50s because they couldn't find the original they couldn't get hold of the original script from the 30s um which is a very convoluted like route but the big change from all of those is that the um the mobsters chasing them is an addition uh because uh, they the director um Bill, billy wilder felt that that the film needed that, that you know that tension of them being chased by a mobster so in the original original films, this is based on, 
Um, it's two music- musicians dressing as women and running away just to get the work. Yeah, and, and the, the mobster thing. And also the setting being in the 1930s as well. It's 1929, isn't it, in fact? Um, yeah. You know, just before the, the market crash. And I think that mobster feel, I think, adds a lot to the film. It adds lots, lots of yeah. urgency. And also it's just great fun. You know, it's great fun to see the, the Tommy guns. and It's really good. The first the first act of this film is a legitimately, legitimately really fun gangster movie. Um, and they've they obviously went like they didn't didn't hold anything back with with the, the sort of set dressing and the car chases and, and it's just really fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think yeah, it's one of those films that's just it's it's so well made in and and in, in a way that you almost don't notice a lot of things and and that comes in the dialogue, it comes in the the sets in the um, uh, the costumes. It, there's just so much of it. I think that really just works so well and and i think it's yeah it's a, just a great film to watch great well now we've established we both loved it i guess watch it um and, and that's it for today <laughs> uh, but but again let's talk a little bit about the cast before we go anywhere else yeah. um so we mentioned earlier that uh the sort of a big name attached to this uh is marilyn monroe um who obviously nowadays is this sort of um She's this pop culture icon from from the fifties and sort of the early sixties, um, you know. And if you talk about sort of blonde bombs, the words blonde bombshell, and you know the sex appeal that, that Marilyn Monroe sort of still has, you know, I'm pretty sure all the merchandise that's being sold with pictures of Marilyn Monroe must be in the billions of you know, dollars annually. Um, it's quite insane how lasting uh, this woman's impact was, because especially because she died. 36 years old it's kind of insane yeah and it's one of those things that i don't think we can kind of really appreciate the level of celebrity and we live in a celebrity culture you know in in, in 2020 but i don't think we can really appreciate just how big she was and i think the world was a lot smaller in yeah the 50s when monroe was a big star i mean television had just was just coming in and and hollywood was I think a lot more close knit. It was again, I think it's smaller, all white. Don't get me wrong, all white and mostly men. Um, but <laughs> you know, I think it's it's kind of it's kind of amazing that that we we still look at this '50s star as this sort of like ideal of attractiveness, and that has changed. But I don't think the opinion of Marilyn Monroe in that manner has changed. No, and I think it's one of those American icons as well. You know, like that real quintessential American. And America at its peak, uh, and I say that euphemistically, but in terms of, you know, this is when, this is 50s America, this is post-war economic boom. I think like Silver Age of Hollywood, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I think you really, she embodies that, doesn't she? And I think... Yeah. She's one of the the big players and sort of like along with, you know, realistically along with like Elvis, who is roughly contemporary. You've got, you know, the two sort of biggest stars, but potentially without actually any acting talent, but they're so um, in the public eye. Yeah, that they can sell the film. And not so the acting from her acting is is okay, but <laughs> she can't really sing. Um, she, you know, she her, her, her dancing and her kind of movement is very good and the way she uses the body is I, amazing. But I, I don't have a massive ear for music. And I thought the music in this was fine. I think it has to be significantly worse than this for me to know it's bad. Um, but yeah, it was not great. 
but my point is you know, my point my point though is that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter none yeah. of that matters because she she completely owns a scene um the, the, the scenes that she's in she's got this electricity to her there's a sex factor on that as well about yeah. it and even if you read the even if you read the trivia and about how you know atrocious she was as, as a you know as an actor and her work ethic and and, and you know, some of these we'll get into the trivia in a minute but and but it's still she's very arresting when she's on screen mm-hmm. um and I, I think that's just something that's i think just in her dna and i think that's like partly why she's such a massive star and she's just got this thing and we, we see actors today who are like that as well um you know, when they're on screen, they just they just pull focus. You can never have them in the background, even if Marilyn Monroe was in nobody no one would heard of. You'd still be looking at it because it's just there's just something about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in a similar light, like Tony Curtis. Um, who, who, oh, Tony Curtis. Yeah, and he's he plays um, Joe or Josephine, and I think I think he's just fantastic in this. He's he's so good. He's so good. I and he's think, playing. Well, we we'll talk about we we'll talk about it when we get to the, the last actor. But he's he's playing it so believably. Like his performance as this man who's obviously really awkward and nervous about portraying you know, you know pretending to be a woman. And I think he does an excellent job of that. And I think he's really drawing from probably how awkward and nervous he felt about this role yeah yeah I, I was reading that when um um jack lemon and and uh, tony curtis were in the dressing room jack lemon had to literally push him out and really had to force yeah. him to come out of the dressing room and go into onto the soundstage because it was just you know and this is that this is 1959 as well so this is something that people are particularly aware um, um used to and i think he, he kind of harnesses that i think and turns it into what actually is, is a more um realistic portrayal of 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 a of a you know straight white guy pretending to be to pretending to be a woman um exactly and i think and i think even more is even more highlighted when you mentioned jack lemon jack lemon plays um the other lead in this film um jerry slash uh, daphne and and he's playing it completely the opposite he goes he's like fully immersed um at times you know there's a couple of scenes where um curtis has to sort of like slap him and say like you're not a woman yeah you're a boy you're a boy <laughs> you're a boy you're a boy and, and, and they were really and, and i think and i think the, the sort of the two ways that these two actors that, that are playing these roles is, is 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 fabulous it's just so fun to watch and and um, and jack lemon especially i think is, is sort of like exaggerating his performance even more yeah. because he knows that it's making Curtis even more uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, I like to think so. Um, I think Jack Lemmon is for me is the best thing about this movie. It is he's a joy to watch and he 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 yeah. He just it's so effortless, you know, the way he switches back and forward between the characters and the way that he becomes when he introduces himself from the train, you know, and it's just it's just wonderful. It's so it's so smooth and so so liquid. To watch, and I think his performance is is my favourite thing about this. He was nominated for best actor, but didn't win, um, which I think is which I think is an absolute travesty. Uh, and I think he, for me, I think that's a, a great Oscar worthy performance. I think I think I agree completely. Um, so those are sort of like the three main players. Um, again, I think to, because we're talking about such an old film here, we're not going to do our usual sort of listing the films that these actors were in. 
um, because these names have sort of, if you've not heard of these actors, it's probably because you're not that into like classic cinema, um, because you come across these people, especially um, Jack Lemmon, all the time. A uh, really late role for Jack Lemmon was um, Glenn Gary get Glenn Ross, which I'm not sure if you've seen. No, the only film I've seen. But like, is a great like bottle movie, and he's a really old man in that, and, and um, Kevin Spacey is also in it, so maybe. But yeah. it's it's a great like um, they're they're land agents and. You know, he's um, Jack Lemmon's character from Glengarry Glen Ross, I think, is the inspiration for Gil from The Simpsons. Oh, right. Which, so, like, imagine that and then imagine Jack Lemmon in that sort of performance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you should watch it. It's very, it's very, very good. Um, and kind of, like, draws a through line between that and sort of it's constantly referenced. <laughs> but everyone on this cast is dead. Except I have one exception uh, when digging. Um, so it's everyone from this cast, you know, in 1959, all of these people are sort of, you know, in their thirties at least. Uh, there is one actor who's still alive, and his name his name is uh, Nehemiah Persoff, and he plays little little uh, Bonaparte, the gangster at the right, end. Right, yeah. Who's to- the gangster at the end who's talking about retiring, but is in fact only forty years old. <laughs> uh, he's a he's a hundred now, turning one hundred and one this year, um, and he's and he's still kicking, uh, which I think is great. Um, and there are only two other cast members I really want to touch on before we move on to like talking about the actual film um and that's uh grace lee whitney uh plays plays a role in this and she's yeoman rand from star trek i have no idea who that is um, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter from, it does it doesn't matter but it's a star trek because, well, I, there and, we go. I appreciate um, that there's a really really ugly mobster yes uh, <laughs> which one played by man which played by a man called harry wilson who you'll have seen you everyone would recognize because he was in loads of stuff um and he had a, a pituitary problem it wasn't um the sort of uh gigantism one it's something sort of related um and he he sold himself in hollywood as, as the ugliest man in hollywood Fantastic. Um, and that's kind of like what his career is built on is being he's a guy with a really big chin and nose and like talks in a weird way um and uh yeah he is quite grotesque um, and I just thought I'd point that out. Harry Wilson, a, a really like storied actor who, you know, proves that you don't have to be a, a handsome leading man to have a really, really good career. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. So where do we start then? Where do we start with this? Because I think um... usually we'd kind of go into a, a, it's quite a long film. It's two hours, and I think there's maybe some kind of key themes that we could talk about rather than necessarily. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about. So basically, this film is sort of. So let's talk about the acts because there are basically three acts in this movie. Really, you've got the first act when they're in Chicago and they they decide to run away as women, and then you've got the second act when they're in Florida and you have um, Tony Curtis is wooing Marilyn Monroe, and um, Jack Lemmon is is being wooed by um, that old man whose name escapes me right now, and and then the final act is when um, the gangsters show up by coincidence at the hotel they're staying at yeah. and then you have the sort of like the wacky chase scene and some more gang murders and then they eventually all sort of escape on a on a speedboat out towards a yacht um, and, and the final act's the shortest but let's so where do you want to start with Sam should we talk about the first act I think so that's 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 the beginning yeah. isn't it <laughs> of the film <laughs> the f- as if we've just um, <laughs> reinvented them <laughs> let's talk about the first act first yeah, number sure, one sure. number one um so this is quite like a funny sort of... It's probably my favourite bit of the film is this first probably 20, 20 minutes, half an hour uh, while they're in Chicago. 
um, because you get so much character building, and it's like you, you get that interplay between um, Curtis and Lemon um, when they're when they're still men, so to speak, um, where they're, they're it's established that they are musicians and they're not very they're not very good musicians. That's established multiple times, um, and they're sort of like you know um, partners. They're sort of like you know buddies, and they hang around together and get work together, um, but they're really skint. Um, and they make poor decisions, and Curtis especially is quite impulsive and a gambler and a drinker, and and Lemon constantly suffers from his impulsiveness yeah. and gambling and drinking. They sell, and this is all established very like quickly. They, they end up selling their overcoats <laughs> because because uh, they they put their overcoats on as as collateral for a, for a horse a dog racing bet. Um, and they lose yeah. their overcoats. And just, just that, for, for some reason, that just is so funny to me. That the, the length that they would go. I think it's something that, like, we don't really have pawnbrokers in, in the UK. Not in the same way that I think America does. Like, if I wanted to pawn something, I could take it to one of these like cash places. But twenty years ago, I'm not sure I could. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think especially this, like I think this first act for me is is as some of the best dialogue. Um, yeah. in, in the whole in the whole film, I think it it moves quite quickly. I think for for a film from from nineteen fifty nine, but it, and we don't meet Marilyn Monroe until the end of the film. Exactly, and I think that's really important for for establishing these two as the principal characters because I think Marilyn Monroe is a kind of like a black hole of 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 attention. Everything just swarms towards yeah. her, and I think what you and need it's a really good choice. It's a really good choice to have this, and I say slower. Um, it's just slower in the fact that we're not into the main sort of thick plot of it, but this is like a miniature gangster movie, and I love it because what's happening in the backdrop of these two guys, you know, the theme of this first act is is these two musicians are trying to make a book, and they sort of stumble into this like mini mobster film where um, you know the, the uh, bloody Valentine murders happen, and they witness them, and that's what causes them to flee, which is like a nice, really like good callback to like. 1930 an actual event and it's kind of brutal like these guys like seven seven guys just get like mowed down with tommy guns and it's kind of like we get to see loads of like moonshiners and like prohibition um you know gangsters and and, a speakeasy an actual speakeasy speakeasy, which is i really love the speakeasy and it's kind of like all of these set pieces are quite lovingly made and and i think Today, I think it's even more ingrained of this, like, probably quite false view of Chicago in the 20s, but, like, who cares? Yeah, it's, it's great fun, isn't it? And and, and what it, what allows you to happen, what the film kind of enables through that is just this great relationship building between Joe and Jerry. And there's a, there's a line, and Joe is, he's, he's um, to he's Tony Curtis, he's much more laid back, he's much more kind of oh we'll, we'll be fine we'll get it sorted and he's asking he says what are you worried about this job's gonna last a long time and and then about and, 30 seconds later yes but there's a scene yeah, yeah hold on hold on here. because it, the, the line yeah. i really like is he says jerry boy why do you have to pay everything so black suppose you got hit by a truck suppose the stock market crashes suppose mary pickford divorces douglas fairbanks suppose the dodgers leave brooklyn and these are but- all things that happened <laughs> 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 in nineteen in, in nineteen twenty nine or nineteen thirty, obviously nineteen twenty nine, the stock market crashes and causes the Great Depression, and so there's just there's just like this really clever dialogue and this interplay between the characters, which I think is is fantastic. And then yes, yeah, yeah. several seconds later, um, well, several seconds later, this federal agent, and you get this kind of like nice little sting thing at the 
defensive doing all the spookies, which is is what you're watching happen, and then then that's when you meet the musicians, and it's again like there's another movie in the first. Yeah, like, it's great framing, isn't it? Uh, it is, and and this, I, honestly, I was sat, I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" This federal agent is in the speakeasy, right? He wants to smoke a cigar, so he wants to make a sort of hole in the end of the cigar so he can smoke it. So he takes off his police badge that's under his coat, and then uses the pin on the back of his police badge to like prick the cigar, which is what gives away to our um, our leads that the place is about to be raided, so they can put their instruments away. And I thought, worst cop yeah. ever although he thought it, he, just... he then counts down five four three and really loudly yeah. and then it... which again it's just like yeah. it's it's cartoony but in a, in a really funny way and this is a comedy in a serious film you know obviously that that sort of behavior wouldn't fly but in this it's kind of like oh that's funny that's cute that's you know every or everyone all every one of these gangsters and every one of these coppers like they know they're in a cartoon and it's and it's brilliant yeah it's it's turned up to 11 and i think it, it provides from from the outset you you're given um you're given the, the 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 instructions for the film which is this is a stupid movie this is a silly movie that's going to be yeah um raucous it's going to be you know there's going to be a joke every every few seconds there isn't really a line that's left in the film that doesn't have some kind despite of despite the fact there are 11 brutal murders yeah yeah but but that that's the type of that's the type of exaggerated yeah, it's... um it's you know you, you'd look at things like um airplane or um naked gun yeah in that similar type of fast movie you know where it's just not taking itself too seriously but it takes itself seriously enough to provide actually quite a compelling narrative, you know, and it does that. It's a wonderful farce, and it, and it never really gets absurd, is what I like about this. It's a farce, but it's relatively grounded. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. You know, no one's flying and no one's, you know, doing, you know, no laws of physics have been broken in this film. Uh, you just ask to believe that um, Jack Curtis's manly, manly frame could be taken could be <laughs> a woman. God, the shoulders on him in this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, it's yeah, it's really, but you know they own it, they own it, don't they? Yeah, should we talk about should we talk like... about the elephant in the room though, which is the gender politics of this movie? Yeah, let's let's shall we? Because I think at its core, this is a film about about two men cross-dressing, and you know, I think even maybe twenty five years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, but obviously. The acceptable norm has moved forward, and trans rights is an important thing at the minute, um, and I think rightly so. Uh, and it's getting more and more recognition. So maybe there are certain things that we look back on and think mm, that's a bit. And I don't think this is too bad. Well, let's from let's, a twenty twenty point of view. Yeah, let's preface I it think by this saying is fine. we're two cis white guys. Uh, we have absolutely no idea. So let's. Oh, absolutely, we're not qualified to have this discussion. Not really. We're going to plow on it anyway. No. Because we're too entitled white guys, you think? <laughs> well, exactly. But I, so, so I think as much as as much as there's, you know, there's our interpretation of it. Although I have been looking online and generally trying to kind of see what the overall consensus is, um, and I think it's generally positive. And 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 I think that's because, you know, the joke is, aren't these guys are dressed up as men? Isn't that uh, as women? Isn't that funny? And and that is, uh, its base level fundamentally probably, you know, kind of transphobic. However. I think what the film does is it makes it about the absurdity of their reaction. Exactly. So, so, it's about so when, their discomfort with 
them pretending to be well their dis- their discomfort or their relish rel- their, their, them relishing it well, you know yeah. um uh, 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 Jack is loving it he loves he loves getting in that role and he's and he's really into it and and you know generally it's quite it's quite positive in that sense in terms of saying you know, these guys are, are already it's these guys have done the stupid thing and they don't really know how to get out of it but they also want to have all of the things that come with it so tony curse is chasing marilyn monroe um jack lemon ends up going out with the um the, the millionaire osgood and i think so there's there's all these things that actually end up kind of subverting what you could have as a in, in a film like this and the thing that really struck me is that the the example which we talked about before of probably the most aggressive and you know um uh, just uh, uncalled for and horrible um, depi- depiction yeah, depiction of, of trans people is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Sean Young and Ace Ventura. You yeah. know, which was in 1990-whatever, like 1984 or something. And I think this is a much more sensitively handled film from my limited view than something that came 40-odd years later. And I think that is a really... That's a really... Um, that's a really kind of weird thing to happen, and and you you wonder how that happened. I think a lot of it's probably because this just wasn't a thing. You know, cross dressing obviously was a significant feature of of society in in the sixties. However, it wasn't something that was spoken about. If and it certainly isn't something that happened. Absolutely, and I don't think trans trans people obviously weren't recognised, and 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 their rights weren't you know didn't have any in that respect. But neither did neither did gay people. You know. Exactly. Segregation exactly. was um, was still was still <laughs> happening or, in America. Or women to a large exactly. Extent. So I think it's um, I think it's almost like skirting over a lot of the other. I think so. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just from the frame of when it was made. Like I think the reason it's like this isn't necessarily that the director or any of the cast are particularly forward thinking or are particularly like you know because there couldn't be because it's an issue that wasn't in the forefront at the time. However. Uh, this film, this film di- didn't uh, receive, uh, wasn't passed uh, by the uh, Motion Picture Production Code at the time, which is quite a big thing. So maybe that's the next logical thing to talk yeah. about. Just just before we do that, I think there's one thing to note is that they did hire um, a what was termed an cross dresser. They hired somebody who was who was trans, a female in person. Yeah, and the, and Babette, and they so they did hire them to kind of give them a sense. And what's funny is that Jack Lemon didn't really follow much of um, her instruction in terms of his how to walk because he was much more intent on being, you know, he's Jack Lemon's trying to do that. He's not necessarily doing it very well. No, you. I think you mean Tony, oh, Tony Curtis. Sorry, yeah. So I think there's yeah. much. Tony Curtis said that um, they did it for a week, him and Jack Lemon, and he said he thanked Babette for for, for um, their work and said, basically, um, I'm not going to use anything you've taught me because I want to look like a man trying to walk like a woman i don't he doesn't want to look like a he doesn't want to walk like a woman he wants to look like a man trying to walk like yeah. a woman, and therefore not doing it very so, well whereas i think jack lemon is kind of like the opposite of it where there's a great scene later on in the film where he's running around in heels pushing um Tony curtis in a wheelchair and doing uh, a good job i could not run in heels like that yeah. like it's it's a very impressive uh, job i am fairly sure um story time here i bought a pair of um boots um with a slight heel on them I wore them for a week and I had really, really sore calves. 
Um, well, how, how would so, yeah, it amazing. I'm fairly sure that was like half a centimetre of a heel. So <laughs> any any more than that, I'm sure, would be absolute agony. So no thanks. So just to wrap up then, I think generally on this, we're not going to, you know, I think I think generally it's it's obviously it's an issue that should be handled by people who know what they're talking about and actually have experience around this. But you know, I think it's one of the things where we're going to defer to that, and and there's probably better podcasts around the 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 how good this is as representing trans people versus um, other 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 things. So, but the Hayes Code. So that's what you were going to get into, isn't it? The Hayes Code, yeah. So the Hayes Code was a, basically like a set of uh, principles by which Hollywood self-censored itself um, from from around 1934 uh, with various success, uh, and it officially didn't wasn't replaced until uh, 60, 1968. And the idea behind it was that um, with the advent of uh, the talkies, uh, sound in, in cinema um, in the sort of like early 30s. There was this real fear that um, basically smut would start being released, uh, and, and it's this sort of like really and boy were they uh, right, and they were right, sure. But there's this fear that that, that Hollywood be, would be degraded by basically you know people releasing films that were really really sexual, really really like you know explicit and shocking and violent because in a silent movie, I mean, because of the lack of sound, it's really difficult to convey it in quite so visceral a way. So the Hayes Code was essentially, and it's known as the Hayes Code after the, the sort of first, but the person who first made it uh, a big thing, and, it, and it's essentially like a not a union, but it's it's like a stamp of approval that they would give to films, um, which would allow them to sort of be released properly. And and it in the thirties and in the forties and the early fifties especially, it kind of reigned supreme, um, and it's it's why you end up with some films that are quite neutered of quite a lot of violence and quite a lot of like sexual content. It's because of the Hayes Code saying, you know, no, you yeah. can't release something. And as an like example because it's... of the type of thing that it would, and it was very specific. And so there's a Hitchcock film called Notorious, and they had a rule, and this is real, they had a rule that kisses could only last three seconds. Three seconds. So that's what they say, that the kiss would only last three seconds. Otherwise, it would not, um, you know, it would fall foul of the code. And so in this film, Notorious, Alfred Hitchcock had um, Cary Grant. Uh, is it Cary Grant, actually? I can't remember. Anyway, they had the actors kiss for two and a half minutes, but stopped and broke up every three seconds to get around <laughs> it. And so that's the level of absurdity yeah. that we're talking about, really. You know. the, the sort of ideology behind it was to preserve the moral fibre of the audience, essentially, as to not... It was... We don't want to... Um, we don't want to, like, you know, present the American public with filth, um, which I think is laughable at its core. But it was really powerful and for a long time. And it wasn't until the sort of 50s that that films started, directors and foreign films, and because especially before the 50s, the, the foreign film market was very, very tiny. Like, you know, no one else was making movies outside of L.A., really. Um, so it was very a lot easier to enforce that way. Um, but with the advent of more foreign films and directors booking the trends and films like this, which obviously thought, well, bollocks to it, we're not going to care about adhering to this code. And with Hollywood's uh, real decrease in market share with the advent of TV, mm. um, television was a big thing that rocked the Hayes Code because it meant that, because TV didn't have that. So it meant that 
Fulham's had to maybe step up their game a little bit to compete with, and and we're seeing this to this TNA. day. Like, you know, <laughs> cinemas exactly. Cinemas suddenly had to compete with people sat in their own homes watching TV, and and that's a really difficult thing to do. Even you know, especially now, but even in the fifties when there was you know probably like two channels, it's it's tricky. So um, this film is often quite often, some like it hot, is referred to as one of the final nails in the coffin of the Hayes Code. Um, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't officially replaced until 1968, and it was replaced by the current. Um, I can't remember what the American system like is, M but it's basically like the, the, yeah, that's a yeah, like the rating system that says exactly, yeah, well, basically a rating system that says like this is for adults or this is not, you know, this is for kids. And we have we have something different over in the UK, but and this um, it's a really interesting piece of Hollywood history. It is this film kind of like booking. And this film's got it all. It's got you know. <laughs> It's got um, homosexuality, you know. It's got cross-dressing. There's drinking. There's very, rampant. very few clothes. I mean, throughout. this is this is a highly sexual movie. Roger Ebert called it. It's a film about sex, really, and and I think that is that nails it from 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 the very beginning. It's all about. Yeah, it's it's like um, Jack Lemmon and um, Tony Curtis put themselves in this situation where they're a kid in a candy shop, but someone's sawn off their hands. It's it's really funny. And that's kind of like the stab of, especially the train scene, which we'll talk about in a minute when we'll talk about the second act. Um, but it's like, you know, you can tell this real sort of terror that these actors are sort of um, putting on, like, you know, oh my God, <laughs> there's all these sexy ladies and not wearing any clothes. Oh, this is my dream, but also my nightmare. Yeah. And it's kind of this wonderful thing, and the whole film is about that, really, like you said. And it's about their um, stupidity. It's about their, there's a scene where they're on the train still, and Sugar is in, uh, Marilyn Monroe is in the in the bunk um, with Jack Lemmon. Oh God, we hadn't said... Marilyn Monroe's character name in this Sugar King. yeah. How would we not mention that? I know, it's that? amazing, it's amazing. And Jack Lemon is like getting drunk and she's still he, Jack Lemon's still pretending to, to, to be a woman at this point. And he he's he's like setting up and he says, I've got a surprise for you. Like as if he's going to reveal that he's uh, actually a man. And so um, he's gonna he's gonna whip his cock out. It's very it's very implied that he is going to get an erection and reveal himself to this, which is extraordinary. And I think and I think you like what's the plan there? What is the plan? Because I'm not sure you think this is gonna go how you think it's gonna go. <laughs> I think the plan is Sam. It's the fifties, and you're a white yeah, man. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, and it's kind of like and then and then you get this really really like and there's a lot of physical comedy in this scene where. Um, you get this really funny bit where uh, they're in like a bunk on a train and the whole train car is full of bunks and this, this female band are sleeping and there's um, a couple that run it and they're asleep and they have this incredibly loud, noisy, like uproarious party. And they, there's about 12 people cramming into this, this bunk. This is so it's funny. A wonderful, wonderful piece of cinema because it's shot from both directions and, and Jack Lemon is kind of like underneath all these writhing bodies and it's incredibly sexual. And they're all drinking and smoking, and, and it's it's wonderful. But to them, they're oblivious, um, and to the audience, you know, like to the male audience, it's like, oh my god! But you know, that's just a bunch of girls having fun. That's what they're doing, and that's what they're interested in. And they are raucous; they are completely like drinking. Exactly. But every man watching it is like, oh someone my god! Someone brings biscuits and cheese. They're like, hey, do you want salami? Someone says, do you want some salami? Like, yeah, and they're just shoving it in, like, because there's not much space. It's this really funny bit where they just keep shoving food into Jack Lemon's face. And he's like, no, no, get out of my bunk! But then his mouth is full of crackers, and it's just, and again, like, really good physical comedy because his arms are pinned to his side and he can't move, and all these women are crawling over him, and he's, and it's this duality of like, oh my god, this is amazing. And, 
oh my god i'm gonna be found out yeah it's it's brilliant <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant and i think um, that that kind of rounds up the first act doesn't it really they're, they've been they've run away from the mobsters in chicago they're on the train to miami and we've met sugar now and and that's where we well so they're on the train to miami yeah, thematically it's because they need to get away and they earlier in the day they heard about this job where this fancy keeper a saxophone player and a uh, a bull, a bull fiddle player, um, which is the instruments they play in front of women. So that's when they sort of like hatched this plan. Because Jack Lemmon's all for it from the off. Yeah. Before they even see the murders, he's like, it's three weeks work in Florida. Great. Um, so then, yeah, they, they dress up as women. And he's keen then. He's keen then already to be dressing up, isn't he? He's like, I think he's, I think he's got some kind yeah. of latent fat, latent. Um, urges there that he's never really but there's a kind of like real like f- really funny reversal here where early on in the film um tony curtis is like the really serious one who's uh, no sorry not the serious one tony curtis is the really sort of lazy fair one who's like oh it'll be fine I mean, this job doesn't last forever we'll put it on this we'll, on this dog it'll be great we'll win loads of money and, and jack lemon has to be the foil who's like you no know, trying to be sensible and grounded and down to earth and then as soon as they're on this train um those those roles really yeah, switch that's a good point where where um, Tony Curtis is the one who's like really worried about them being find, found out, really worried about them being murdered, and Jack Lemon is just having the time of yeah. his life. And it's kind of like, and it's kind of this nice reversal of like, you know, for these characters, um, and especially actually because I've seen this film a couple of times before, and on the train scene when um, Jack Lemon's having a drink with Sugar, I was like, I'm sure it was Tony Curtis that <laughs> I was googling. It. I was like, I'm sure it's Tony Curtis who has the romance with, with Marilyn Monroe in this. Um, and it's just like because again it's just sort of like it's misleading you and then reversing it and yeah it's kind of fun. and ev- everyone's everyone's horny and everyone's um everyone's after sugar something an aren't they alcoholic yeah sugar sugar cane's an alcoholic and, and, and there's all sorts of drinking and prohibition america is always fun for drinking um and yeah it's it's very fun um the train sequence is quite long probably like one of the longer sequences in, in the film i think mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, but it sets up quite a lot. You have this, this you know this really funny like um, bunk scene, which again I think is quite like massively shot because it's obviously got two sides to it and had cameras on both sides and and there's, you know there's a there's a laughable amount of women in this one bunk, like more than the space should allow, and they're obviously like coming through from the other side and jumping through and falling off, and it's kind of like a really really clever piece of cinema. I yeah, think. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Should we should we talk about some of the behind the scenes um, before we get into the last yes? But couple before acts? we do, I don't I don't know if we've mentioned that this film shot in black and white. Of course, and it, well, this this is a good this so, is a good example of where we can talk about behind the scenes. I think the reason that it exactly. was in black and white. So, so so this film is in black and white, which is in 1959. Color, color films were being made in color. In fact, Marilyn Monroe's contract with the studio stipulated that that this film had to be made in colour. But, and this is, I'm sure, one of the bits of trivia you want to talk about, and I'm going to steal it from you, Merciless. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, in colour, um, Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis in drag, because they're in full makeup and everything, in colour, apparently, it was so grotesque that audiences couldn't watch Ghoulish it. Ghoulish was the word, the quote I saw. Ghoulish. Um, and I think, and again, we're not, we're not talking about the, the, the issues raised in this film because we're not qualifying, but I think that's maybe where, like, the sensibilities of the time are clearer. It's stuff like that. So, 
<laughs> they showed it to Manson, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marilyn Manson, Christ. Um, Marilyn Monroe, and and she agreed to, to like you know avoid that clause and let them shoot in black and white because it it tones down. But I love the aesthetic of a black and white. Yeah, film. I think I think it really uh, adds a timelessness, and it also emphasises, um, or or makes real. The fact that this is in the 1930s, you know, that's I think that if it was shot in color, yeah, you'd lose. It was before color. It was shot. It was. It looks like it was made before color was invented in about the 40s. Yeah, you know? and I think you'd lose we beat, something. We beat, the German, we beat the Germans in World War Two, and we discovered color. <laughs> that was that's what the Nazis were were hoarding, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think so. I think yeah. you'd lose something in terms of that feel of it being a film from the 19. Um, exactly, 40s or 50s. and I think, I think there's a way a black and white film is shot. That's technically like it's a, it's a lot different. I mean, there's a couple of black and white films that have been made, like art pieces. Uh, Sin City, for instance, has been the big example mm. of something that's been made. I say semi recently. Is that like what mid nineties? It's early two thousands, um, maybe. Yeah, early two thousands. But like you know, because the aesthetic of a a black and white film, it kind of without that color, you have to work a lot harder to make something fun because like you can't use that shortcut and. Uh, night scenes in particular are very, very different, and and the lighting needs are insane. And, and something that struck me, especially in that this first bit of Chicago, which is quite dark and a lot of it takes place at night, is is in black and white. Water and moisture acts in a really, really fantastic way. Where um, you have this um, chase scene with a car, and um, they get shot by the police because it's America. And uh, it breaks some whiskey bottles. So um, it splatters all over these gangsters. And when they get out of the car in a different shot to sort of take all this booze in, one of them has got like some moisture on the back of his coat. And I thought, that's such a wonderful little thing. Because in on a colour film, you wouldn't notice it because it's not wet. There's just moisture droplets on him. On him. But on a black and white reel, it's the contrast is quite astounding. And it just there's a couple of moments like that where there's, there's a real beauty to the black and white um, films, it really, really is, and and there's a real, there's something to really appreciate there. Um, and obviously, like mainly, this film was made in black and white because of the concerns about how it would be received with Tony Curtis's rouged cheeks. But you know, I think it really gains something in 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 the look of the thing. Yeah, I think the lighting. Um, you mentioned the lighting there. I think that's something that you really see in how they light Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And she is she's lit like a nineteen forties um, starlet. Yeah, that's how they, it's ex- it's yeah. almost exactly the same in terms of her face is perfectly it's almost glowing and and her hair glowing and all of that is very much harking back to that earlier period in terms of the, in terms of the cinematography. So you can see that, and I think the the, the black and white really helps to sell that to to the audience and, and gives you that real sense of her being almost angelic. Um, as 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 you know, going harking back to the 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 da- the real kind of um, age of of Hollywood. Um, yeah, and I think it, it achieves it in a wonderful way. I love how this is just us like splurging about this wonderful film sixty years after the fact, but it's it's great. I know. Um, uh, so we're, what we're, we're not, we're not pro- providing any insight other than this film is good, but you know that's it's really good, and you should watch yeah, it. Let's, let's <laughs> not question our um, um, our podcast in it. So are we gonna are we gonna talk about the second act? I think this will be a brief conversation because it's there's not as many beats go on here. Um, yes, and so 
they arrive at this hotel in Florida and we're introduced to sort of like the, the sort of the last characters we haven't yet met, um, which is is it Oates? Not Oates. Um, Oswald, the um, the old millionaire. Yes. Uh, and we, we've established on the train that, that, that um, uh, Marilyn uh, Monroe's character is is kind of um, she's looking for a rich man, yeah. <laughs> um, and and she sort of discusses it with, with Tony Curtis. And so when they arrive, the first person they see is um, the name's escaping oh, again. This old movie, Osgood, Osgood sorry, III. Yeah, yeah, Joey Brown played. Yeah, really good actor. We didn't mention him earlier. Like he's in a lot of stuff, and he's got a very recognisable face. Um, and and you have this great, this really funny, like slapsticky scene of, of all these women getting off the, the the bus and they're going into the hotel. And there's, there's um, Fielding and, and maybe ten other older men, and they're all doffing their hats one after like again and again and again because there's just this stream of women going past them. Um, no. Which admittedly does lead to a scene where he gets in, Fielding gets in the lift with um, with uh, Lemon and then sexually assaults. Yeah, him. <laughs> well done for calling what it is. <laughs> it's played for laughs, isn't it? But yeah, and then and then when they go back yeah. up to the hotel room, um, you know they they almost touch on wow, isn't this hard for women? And then I think they they basically just say yes, no, but I'd rather be doing that than dressed up as one. You know, so you still you're like oh, so close, guys, so close yeah. to being woke, but nope. Well, again, it's fifty nine. I mean, I think that's as woke as it's yeah. going to get, and definitely as woke as it does get. So um, then, so Tony Curtis ends up. He's obviously listening to what Marilyn Monroe says about wanting to meet a millionaire, and so pretends to be a millionaire. And yeah, I think at first as well, it's fairly barefaced because he wants to fuck her, and I think it's it's not like, oh, I really like this woman. It's more like, oh, I'm going to have her, and so he had leads this like weird double life where he dresses as a man. While his like female alter ego is having a long bath or something, and then woos her that way, but he's quite rude about it. It's a really weird like, um, you know. I was sat there thinking, how is this? Weird? How stupid <laughs> is this woman? And I think I think um, you do you you do it does set up relatively well that Marilyn Monroe makes bad choices with men and or or well, let's be let's be honest, you know, men aren't very nice to her. It's probably the more realistic. Um, version of that but i think i was watching it with 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 nicola my wife and she i was like well i mean it's you know it's kind of it's kind of harmless isn't it and she was like no because there's late there's a bit later on where he basically pretends to have some kind of deficiency where he can't feel anything and so in terms of emotions or or romance or you know sexual feelings or anything like that and so she, he, he's basically almost like gaslighting her, saying, "Oh no, I can't. I'm I'm damaged. I can't do that." And she and she says, "Well, why don't I try this and why don't I try that?" And then eventually, it ends up that that he's 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 cured by Marilyn Monroe's lips. Um, and so you do. I I I, I was thinking, mm, you know, it's not that bad, but yeah, actually, it is incredibly manipulative <laughs> what he does. And later on. He does kind of redeem it slightly in that he becomes, as you say, more interested in her than just for, um, just for kind of for sex. But it's it's still a funny it's still a funny like, okay, all right, are we doing that? Okay, let's do it. And you kind of just have to accept it, I think, as as the as the silliness of this film, and not really overthink it. Otherwise, you can end up maybe getting yeah, it's fine. Um, but 
yeah, it's fine. Um, it's just one of those things. But thematically, it's it kind works of though. I think yeah, it works. Yeah, the context of yeah. yeah. So you have these basically two plot lines going on here, which is that um, in order to facilitate Tony Curtis wooing Marilyn Monroe, uh, Jack Lemon um, basically agrees to um, go out on several what you might call dates uh, with. Fielding. And he loves it. Uh, so <laughs> he loves and Jack. And so not initially, he kind of does it because. Question mark. Um, because because he's a good Curtis, friend, I think. Yeah. Because he really wants to see his friend get laid. Um, and it, anyway, so initially he hates it, but then he ends up going to this like Cuban restaurant with Fielding, and they dance, they do, they they, uh, they tango until dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- and this is my really favorite relationship scene. in the whole. And, and he comes back, and he's like, he's got a maraca yeah. or something, and he's in the room by himself, and he's just shaking his maraca dun, to himself, dun, dun, and he's obviously dun. like. You know, obviously had that wonderful evening. Was like, oh, isn't he dreamy? And like, but hasn't quite realised that that's where yeah. he's at. I love this. Is my favourite relationship in the whole film. That was good and um, and Daphne. Like, I just think it's it's wonderful, and it's almost it's yeah. so it's so unremarked upon as well. Like uh, Tony Curtis mentions it a couple of times. It's, you know, you can't marry him. How are you going to marry him and all this stuff? Um, but. <laughs> You're you're a boy. You're yeah, a boy. I'm a boy, but he but almost he doesn't care. He you know, he doesn't he doesn't really care. And I think again, it adds to the silliness of this film, where it's just basically just accept it, just accept it for what it is. Don't overthink it, because you know it, it's it's funny, and that's the principle. That's the principle kind of objective of this: is that is it funny or not? Um, and I think it you know it all adds up really well and in terms of the relationships between the different characters i think are just are great no i think i absolutely agree and um and it's just like this weird interplay so we have that second act and 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 then it's, it's not slow running at all and it's really funny and there's some really really funny bits um and almost every shot of Marilyn Monroe, like you said is 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 that sort of hollywood starlet thing where the camera pans in and she's not wearing a lot of clothes or She's running around. It's it's very funny, and the culmination of this is essentially that a couple of days after they get there, um, <laughs> these gangsters arrive for like a, a union meeting <laughs> with some other gangsters. It's friends of Italian opera um, is what they're is what they're friends of Italian opera, uh, which I really like. This I really like how cartoonish these gangsters yeah. are, and and you kind of miss them in that second act when not a lot else is happening, and and then they turn up again, and they're all equally stupid. Um, and and that's kind of like sets up for the combination of um, Curtis and Lemon realise that uh, they might be recognised and in running away from that they are recognised yes, <laughs> before we get into this though can we talk about some of the production because it kind of relates to the second act um, yeah definitely and um, I think I know what you're going to talk I know, about I think you, I think you do so Marilyn Monroe, and and obviously we've talked about her as a as a you know incredible star. However, a very very troubled star as well. And 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 Ryan, you know, well, she died two years yeah, after this. This is this is right at the peak. This is right at the peak of of her very very difficult life. Um, and you know, obviously, incredibly unfairly treated in in so many ways, and um, and lots of lots of various problems. I think, but. It all culminates in this film in what was, you know, described as being very, very difficult 
very difficult to work with. To the point. Well, there's one example I think, and and I'm pretty sure you want to tell tell everyone about it. So um, there's one specific like fact about this film that will explain everything about the difficulties of the production. Yeah. So there's there's a line, and it and she has to say, "quote It's me, sugar." And it took. It's me, comma sugar, which is the name. Yeah, it took her 47 takes to get it right. 47 <laughs> takes. Because three words. Because she kept saying sugar, it's me, and all sorts. That's an astounding, an astounding it's, it's, level. It's sugar. And apparently, me. apparently, it's because of like the, the, the you know the drugs she was addicted to, and she was quite drunk quite a lot of the time, and also I suppose just exhausted from you know all of the drugs and the alcohol, and I think obviously like the abuse. I mean, let's not get into Marilyn Monroe's life too much, but I think she was tired by this point, and I think. You know, her eventual death death was eventually ruled suicide, and I mean, it's not again. That's a separate podcast. Um, but uh, you know, she overdosed, and and maybe it's because of all this pressure and because of all this um, sort of maybe predatory system that especially a young woman might find herself yeah. in when she's you know at you know the most famous woman and, in America. And, and she is you know throughout her entire career, and in this movie, she's incredibly sexualized and. You know, you could verge on it being rather exploitative, really. And then some of the stuff she ends up wearing in this is just like, oh my god! And yeah, all of that obviously adds up. And you're right, not let's. There, there is a whole episode on just Marilyn Monroe's life, but you, in terms of the actual practical stuff, like it's just it's clear that this was a very very difficult movie to make, and a lot of that stems from yeah, a lot of production ran over. Um, I know Tony, Tony Curtis especially wasn't. Um, I don't think him and him and Monroe got along for the rest of their life, especially um, because of this. Because of this film, Jack Lemmon seems to take a much more, um, much more pleasant sort of opinion. That he's come out and said quite nice. Well, before he died, obviously, um, said like quite nice things about Monroe. That you know she was, um, she might not have been the most talented person, or you know maybe even the most <laughs> the best person to work with on set. But he said that uh, he never met anyone who. Who gave it more? Yeah. Who you know put more into her performance? And that, that was echoed, um, and I think that's yeah, that was echoed by Billy Wilder, the director as well, who said, "This is a nice line. I've discussed this with my doctor, my psychiatrist, and they tell me I'm too old and too rich to go through this again in terms of working with Marilyn Monroe." <laughs> and he said that in nineteen. Yeah, because like the production, just every scene took you know Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon might nail a scene in like one or two takes, and it take Marilyn Monroe another thirty takes after that. So by the time you've got a complete scene, you've got two out of your three actors are exhausted from having to do a good performance 40 times and and I guess that kind of tells in how um, afraid Tony Curtis is, especially towards the end mm. of this film in any scene, he's with Marilyn Monroe uh, there's a beach scene where they sort of have a big conversation um, They <laughs> this is kind of like a subversion of that, um, because of how terrible Monroe had been up to this point it takes uh, they, they, they allowed three days to film this and it took 20 minutes <laughs> Because she just got it first time, pretty much. And it's that like, unpredictability, the first take, isn't it? The first take was perfect, and they were like, great. Yeah. It's probably because, I mean, they would have ordered three days' worth of food, you know, for the cast and crew. They would have yeah. they would have had to do a lot of logistics to get three days' worth of shooting, and then it's over and done with. Yeah, you know, all these things. The hotel, was, uh, the hotel was an actual hotel they shot at. Uh, a lot of the other sets are um, sets, so they're on back lots in LA, but the, um, the hotels and Mm-hmm. so we're, we're coming up to an hour and i think 
we're coming up to the well no no just just the final the final act of the film let's let's try and wrap this up um oh yeah so essentially we have a benny hill chase that goes on for about 15 minutes which is incredibly fun um there's a lot of like tropes here and and essentially uh the mobsters are onto them and you get lots of scooby-doo sort of opening doors and then running in and then running out of other doors and they're dressed differently and it's very funny yeah, I really, I really like this final act. I think it's great. I think the, the, the meeting, the mob boss meeting, um, with the friends of Italian opera, I think is just wonderful. Again, there is a mob film happening in the background of this like funny film about two men dressing yeah. as women, and and and, it, and, and like, they're, they're not aware a of fully it. forms mob film. This mobster Spatz has a, like a full arc. This film is not concerned with it. It's just happening off screen because then, because then they just kill him. So they they kill him off in the in the you know as a as a final. A guy pops out of a massive birthday cake. If I ever saw a birthday cake that big, I would I would absolutely <laughs> run for myself. it. Yeah, <laughs> because there is a bomb or a stripper or a man with a machine. Gun. All equally as awkward as. All equally as awkward. Yeah. Um... So I I really and, like this ending. I think I think it go it it comes it, it culminates all of the different things and and we talk about setup and payoff quite a lot and that is you know what if a, a perfect movie sets up and then pays off um, yeah everything. So actually, sorry, we should talk about the actual conclusion of the sort of romantic storyline of this because I think it's it's worthy of, of note. So in planning to sort of abscond because these mobsters are here. Um, Tony Curtis basically writes a letter to Marilyn Monroe. It's a phone says, call, but yeah, a phone call. Sorry, um, and basically tells her that like he's he's mar- family's forcing him to get married in Argentina to some other woman, um, but he loves her and, and you know wishes her well, and he sends her this diamond bracelet that um, Jack Lemmon's been given by Fielding, and and it's quite like a, I think that's the arc for Tony Curtis in this film from the beginning, where he is that sort of womanizing. Um, you know, they mentioned he's borrowed money from all of the female, all of the female performers in their band, and you know, uh, and he has all these girlfriends, and and that's kind of his arc where he realizes that he can't just leave without saying anything, so he has to invent this story to try and like Soothe. let sugar yeah. down, uh, yeah, and it doesn't work, but it's kind of like that's that's Curtis's arc really, and then um, she's obviously really upset, and this is another production scene where. Uh, I want to talk about. So she comes into the room to get the um, hot water bottle full of booze because again, it's prohibition in America, um, and apparently this scene took like seventy takes. Uh, so she she comes into the room and she opens a drawer, and then she opens another drawer and booze is in there. Um, they resorted to writing her lines on the inside of the correct drawer, um, so that she would open the drawer and read the line then. Uh, and then she couldn't remember which drawer was the right <laughs> drawer. And so did they have to put the lines just, in every drawer? No, so the actual scene, there's like a conspiracy theory that, that Wilder uh, lost his, lost it, and because you just you don't see the front of it, and there's this like theory that is dubbed. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Because you see her from the back, and she says whatever the line is. It's not even a big, long line. Um, and and there's this theory that it's dubbed, or that was like the only the only shot they had where she actually said it. And it's really really funny. And there are a couple of times actually throughout this film, if you're watching for it, when you can see her reading lines behind mm. the camera. Poor Marilyn Monroe. Because you see where her eye line is, and um, 
again, yeah, like, let's not shame this woman who's been dead for 60 years at this point. Um, but it, it must have been very frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah. It must have been. And then, so the actual culmination is, is, is midway through there having this running thing. Um, uh, Tony Curtis basically is like, well, if I'm going to die, essentially, it seems this is what we're told through shorthand. Running away from these mobsters, he runs into the room in um, in, in his in his uh, female outfit as, as Josephine, where the band is playing and um, Marilyn Monroe is singing, and he grabs her and he kisses her, and, and and the band plays on, and then everyone suddenly stops and goes, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and then uh, someone shouts, "That's no broad or something," which I just love, and and he takes off his wig and runs away, and that's the culmination being they all again escape on this um, this speedboat. Um, and I'm sure there's a scene that you probably want to mention right at the end, but it's quite a funny, like, you know, classic sort of like um, ending to a sort of love plot, really, is, is like they have this falling out and then, you know, they're required at the end and, and they sail off, literally sail off into yeah. the sunset. Because they're, they're heading back to the, the yacht, aren't they? The Osgood's um, yacht, where they'd already. Yeah, been, they want to steal it and yeah, run away initially. Tony Kurtz had taken Marilyn Monroe there under false pretenses that it was his already and so yeah, yeah. It, it all kind of that's that's a nice that ties up nicely in the way but you know what i really like about this the, the final bit is how quickly is it go it happens in like 15 minutes yeah. or something it's just it, it, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of dead time in this no. film at all um, and they wrap it they wrap it up really well i think a lot of films can try and over explain how they're going to get out of this and what they do is they just get tony curses to kiss her dressed as as, as josephine and then, and she, to, and then she to be fair, they are free and clear because the mobsters have been moved. Yeah, yeah, but she realizes who it is. She realizes that that's that's my junior. That's the that's the the, the, the millionaire or whoever he is. And I think I think that is I think that's a really simple and really effective way to get out of all of the stuff that they've created, all of the kind of farce. Yeah, because they've set up the yacht. They've set up the, the speedboat to get to the yacht. Um, and they've also set and, up Osgood and Jack Lemon's relationship. Sorry, I'm confusing. Is I, I love the final line of this. Of well, the the final one. line of the film go, is go well, this is and this is so we've got um, Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis in the back of this boat, and in the front we've got um, Osgood and um, uh, Daphne. Daphne. I'm confusing the names, but you you know who I mean. And he's Daphne's protesting. And saying, "Look, I'm I can't, I can't marry, marry you. you. Yeah. I'm a smoker, and because his mom doesn't like smoking, and he says I can't have kids. And then he's like, I don't mind. That's fine. And he will will adopt. Well, he's 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 just nonchalantly batting away every single cons. No, he says he's like he's like it's all right. We'll yeah. adopt. So don't worry. I'm I'm not a natural blonde. No one, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry and about then it. he and then he says, um, I'm a man, and he takes off the wig." He takes the wig off, and, yeah. and Osgood takes a good look at him, and then says one of the most famous lines in cinema, and everyone knows what it is if they're watching. And he and he says, "Nobody's perfect," and that's the end of the film. And just goes back to driving, and you have this exasperated look from Lemon. Well, it's like, exasperation, but it's, it's also just, kind it's of acceptance. To- it's tonally, it's tonally yeah. perfect. It's, it's like, also kind of acceptance. Well, he just sort of goes, "Well, okay," like, and and that, and that's the end of the film. I think that is such a brilliant brilliant way out and again just from a point of view of how do you get out of this complexity and the re- the answer is don't overthink it just just go for it 
Yeah, and I think it really does. Um, I think that's generally like the, the theme throughout the whole film is 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 kind of like like I said, there's a really serious mobster film going on behind yeah. all of this, but it's also it's never it's also um, that last line was a placeholder. It was there just for um, until they could think of something better, and they just never did. And I think sometimes it shows you simplicity is the best way forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's this. Is, all in all, I think we both we're both on the same page here. This is a really fun film um, that's kind of kind of ageless in that way. Like you don't watch this and think, "Oh, that's a little bit outdated," because there's not a lot of content, but there's not a lot of time for issues to be raised, and it's just a bit of a like it's, it's a really jolly sort of fun uh, jaunt. It's a good comedy film. Yeah, yeah, a good old fashioned farce, you know, and it, and I think it's it does everything it needs to do really, really well, and you end up with, uh, yeah, one of the, the the one of the best comedy films ever made, and, and a total cinema classic that, as you say, even in twenty twenty holds up in a way that I don't think a lot of films from that era do. Um, yeah, and it's just you know it's just good fun. Yeah, um, so I think that's pretty much it. Um... Unless I've forgotten anything. I don't think so. I So I have two pieces of trivia that um we haven't mentioned. I'd like to I'd like to mm-hmm. get out of there. Um so number one is uh, after this film came out, Billy Wilder did an interview in which he sort of basically said all these things about Marilyn Monroe. Um and she rang his house just before she died. She rang his house, spoke to his wife and told her to tell her husband, um, said said to Go fuck himself, uh, which I just I found really really funny, um, and and you know I don't think they spoke again, but I just found that really amusing that that it's just like oh yeah, so tell Mister Wilder to go fuck himself. Um, and the second one is that um, I know we talked earlier, and, and yeah, I don't want to get back into that conversation. Uh, this was banned in Kansas when it was released mm. because it's two men dressing as women, um, and so I just you know and obviously. You know, maybe a lot of places didn't know what to think about that, but you know, this this did kind of push some boundaries in 1959. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Some like it hot. So that's it, really. Uh, yeah. Um, I hope we can do a, a good film like this every week. But I have a recommend for next week, uh, which I will save as a surprise. But no, no, tell us now. Tell us now. Tangentially related to this, I think we should watch A Fish Called Wonder, mm. which is another fantastic comedy film starring. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter of Tony Curtis from this film. I love it. That's it. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Perfect. Fantastic. Perfect. So tune in next week, imaginary audience, for a fish called Wanda, um, which I think is as funny as this film. Um, but we'll see you on the Brilliant. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks, Sam. Um... <laughs>